Wow. Today is the last uh, Sunday in this series we've been talking about for the last uh, few weeks called No Rival, No Equal, Forever You Reign. And in just a moment, I'm going to land the plane. So get ready. It's been a great series, and I don't know if you've enjoyed it. I have. Uh, and so I guess that's good. Uh, but I hope you have as well. It's been such a rich experience for me to think through the sovereignty of God, the nature of God, the reign of God, uh, as was on display in the life of Elijah. And then how that same reign and sovereignty manifests itself in the church today and in our lives today. Next week, we're going to start a new series that'll last about five weeks. It'll end on Easter. And the title of this series is I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And this is going to be a series, I just want to be, you know, really upfront with you on baptism. Uh, for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about what it means uh, to step into the waters of baptism behind me, what it looks like uh, to live out of those waters. And as some of you are thinking, well, why are we talking about that? We've got a church full of baptized people. Maybe we do. Um, my guess and my suspicion is there are some among us that have not taken that next step of faith. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about this and praying about this. And we're going to be asking, is this the next step uh, for some of you? For the rest of us, I want to ask you this question. What does it look like to live the baptized life? And are you living out of your baptism every day? Because I think it's this moment in our lives, as we look at Scripture, we see it over and over again. It's this, it's this moment in our lives when we step into the water as one person, and we go into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we are raised to become a new creation, that everything changes for us. And we're going to talk about that for the rest of us, too. Are we living out the baptized life and so I hope you'll join me next week. If there's someone that, that is in your family or in your friend group that you would love to invite to come and say, hey, I know this is something you've been thinking about. We're going to be talking about it. Come and, uh, you know, listen, and I'll buy you lunch. Do that. And uh, if you need help with lunch, I'll help you out with that, whatever it takes, right? Uh, but it's going to be a great, a great time for us to think through that together. I'm, I'm excited about that series as well. Today, though, um, we're going to end this series talking about the sovereignty and the reign of God. And I want to get into it really quick with you today, so I want you to hang on and listen up, because I'm going to start with this question, and we're going to drop the anchor deep real quick. I want to ask you this. What are you holding on to that you are afraid to let go of? What is it in your life that you are holding on to with both hands, and you are afraid to let go of it? If you haven't been around the last few weeks, I'll catch up real quick. We talked about the fact that our God is God over all the earth. And this was on display in the life of Elijah from the outset. God sent Elijah to this evil king Ahab to tell him, to tell him that his turning away from Yahweh and giving his worship to the one true God towards this false god of Baal and all the other gods he had turned to was a move to lead the people of God away from the presence of God and that God was done. And it was time to turn back to him. And so God kept a promise he had made 600 years before that if Israel, for whatever reason, stopped giving God all of their worship, stopped loving God with all of, all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that God would turn off the water. He would stop the rain. And not only did God stop the rain, he stopped the dew, proving that he was the one true God, the only God, that there is no God like our God, that our God is God over all the earth, God over all creation. He is God. And then we talked about the fact that not only that, but God our God is the God above every other God. And you and I, just like those Israelites, can turn our attention and our worship and our lives towards so many other things. But at the end of the day, our God is the only God that answers prayer. You can pray to all the other idols in your life, but none of them can hear you. And even if they could, they couldn't answer because they're not real. 
There is no God like our God, and our God reigns over and above alone as the only God over all other gods. And after that, Elijah hit a pretty low point in his life, hearing the threats of Jezebel that she was going to take his life after what he did on the mountain that day. Elijah literally from, went from the mountaintop where he was praising God to the, the deepest, lowest valley where he was praying to God. And it was there in that moment that Elijah realized another truth. The God of the valley, the God of the mountain is the same God who was sovereign over the valley. That our God is sovereign even in the silence. But we can talk about those things all day long. We can read those stories and they are fantastic, amazing stories. But you realize that none of that matters unless you and I wrap our hearts and lives around the one question that's above all those other questions. All of that is is meaningless unless you and I come into this moment and we answer this question. Is this God our God? Is this God my God? Is this God, we just sang about it, Lord reign in me. Are those words even true? My suspicion is for us, we want them to be. My suspicion is we're holding on with hands clenched to too many other things. And the question is, would we be willing to let go of what we can't keep? Take hold of something better. What is it that you're holding on to that's separating you from Christ? Be honest. What is it that that you're holding on to that makes it unable you to fully and completely and wholly follow Jesus? Be honest. What is it that's in your hands that maybe they're just so full you can't hold anything else? This is going to happen after church today. It happens every week. It happens to me. It happens to a lot of you. If your parents in the room, the little kids, they're going to run up to you after church. And they're going to be like, Mommy, Daddy, hold my stuff, right? And you'll take it all in your hands. And then the other kid comes up because you weren't smart enough to stop at one. They've got, they've got more. And they come up and they say, hey, hey, hold my stuff too, right? And, they, and you're like trying to take it all. And then somebody else says, hey, can you hold this? And you literally can't, right? You're like, no, no. You know, take care of your own stuff, you know? Your hands are so full. You can't hold anything else. Your hands are so full. You can't hold anything else. What are you willing to let go of? Are you willing to give up what you can't keep? You know what we do, right? We hold on to temporary, temporal things that we can't keep. And as long as you hold on to what you can't keep, you can't take hold of Christ. As long as you hold on to what you can't keep, you cannot fully take hold of Jesus. 1 Kings 19. If you have your Bible, if you have an app, open it up. If not, it'll be on the great Bible in the sky behind me. 1 Kings 19. This is at the very end, we hit the next uh, part of the story of Elijah, starting in verse 19. And what I love about this story, what I love about this part of the story of the life of Elijah God had told him on that mountain, he had told him in the cave, he had told him in the silence, he was going to give him something to do and someone to serve, and that someone to serve was going to be a man by the name of Elisha, and it was going to be Elijah's job to take Elisha on as his disciple, to train him to take his place. 
And what I love about the story is it shows us a picture of true discipleship. It shows us a picture of what it means to have a settled determination to follow. And what I want us to think about as we read, it's a really short, just a few verses. As we read these verses today, what I want you to think about in this moment in the life of Elijah and what's about to happen in the life of Elisha is do you have this same kind of open-handed, settled determination to follow your God? So 1 Kings 19, verse 19, here's how the story goes. So Elijah went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, plowing a field. And there were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Now already you can see, you can get a sense, Elisha, he must be a, a man of means. He must be pretty well to do. How do I know that? He has 12 teams of oxen. That's no small thing. He's plowing with the 12 teams. So not only does he have the resources and the means to have this many oxen, this many plows, apparently he's got servants with the other 11, and he has fields big enough and large enough that he needs this much to even plow it all and turn it all to produce a crop later on in this life of this farmer named Elisha. He's pretty well off. Life is going good for this guy. So Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Now let's just say it, that's weird. (laughs) That's a little bit strange, right? Like what in the world just happened? Elisha's over here, plowing his field, working the oxen, doing his farming thing. Up comes Elijah, takes off his coat, throws it on Elisha's back, and walks away. It's weird to us, but Elisha, Elisha knew what was happening in the moment. He knew in the moment that this was Elijah literally transferring prophetic power to him. He knew this was Elijah literally saying, come follow me, calling him to be his disciple. How do I know that? Well, I think Elisha got it because it, it, it just comes across in verse 20. Elisha, he knew something happened. He left the oxen standing right there. And he ran after Elijah. And he said to him, first, he knew what was happening. First, let me go and kiss my my mom and dad goodbye. And then I'm going to go with you. Elijah replied, go back, go on back. But think about what I have done to you. Think about that. So Elisha returned to his oxen. And you would think at this point in the story, it would say he put him back in the barn. Or he put him out to pasture. Or, 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 or he put them in a, in a contained fence area so they would be safe and be cared for while he was away. Elisha returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow. You would think he put the plows back in the shed out back so he could come back to them later if he needed them. No, he used the wood from the plow to build a fire and roast their flesh. This guy had a barbecue. Now I'm talking your language, right? <laughs> We're talking wood-burning grill, 12 teams of oxen, best meat you've ever had, right? He throws a party. He passed around the meat to the whole town, all the townspeople, and they all ate. And after the party, after the oxen were slaughtered, after the plows were burned up, then he went with Elijah to be his assistant. Elisha not only kisses his mom and dad goodbye, he kisses his entire life goodbye. I want to read you something A.W. Tozer once wrote about this story. I think it was so profound. So if you will just listen in and bear with me through this. A.W. Tozer once wrote these words. He said, in the Old Testament, Elijah went by and flung his mantle on Elisha. Elisha caught the meaning of it 
and decided he was going to follow the prophet. Sometime in getting over that fence and joining the prophet, he said to himself, I've given up everything to follow Elijah. And he did. He turned back and said to himself, If my cattle were alive, I would be tempted to go back to my cattle. And if my plows, my wooden plows, are in order, I would be tempted to go back to my plows. I know what I'll do. I'll kill my cattle and use the plow for fuel, and we'll have a big feast and celebrate the fact that I've quit farming and started following a prophet. Elisha settled it. And if anybody's wife or somebody said afterward, Elisha, do you ever think you'd go back? Elisha said, go back to what? The cows are dead. Go back to what? The plows don't exist anymore. They've been burnt to ashes. There's no place to go back to. He had a settled determination. And then Tozer went on to say this. I believe. I believe we ought to teach this to young Christians. We must get the idea ourselves and teach it and show young people that when they become Christians, one aspect of their conversion is that of a settled determination to follow Jesus Christ. Regardless of what it may cost or how he or she may feel about it at any given time. I love this. He says, a Christian's feelings are like loose change in his pocket, never the same twice. We must have a settled confidence that we are on God's side. Can I hear somebody say amen? That's it. We've got to have a subtle determination that we are on God's side. Elisha had that because he literally destroyed the world behind him. So there was nothing to do except to go all in with Elijah and to go all in with God. He had a settled determination. He let go of everything to take hold of Elijah and to take hold of God. I don't know if this story is true. Some people say it's not, so I won't tell you that it is. There's a story about a guy by the name of Fernando Cortez. You know this name, Spanish conqueror, you know. As the story goes, uh, he had his ships and his men, 600 men, and they went down to Mexico, and, and they decided that they wanted to, to, to defeat the Aztecs and take their treasure. The only problem is, for 600 years, no one, no leader, no army had ever been able to defeat the Aztecs. No one had ever been able to take their treasure, and rumor had it, they had vast amounts of gold and vast amounts of treasure. Well, Cortez got his men, got his ships. They sailed down to Mexico, and they, they got on land. And when they landed, they realized, oh yeah, the army is vast. This may be impossible. And Cortez had it in his mind that, yeah, I can see why every leader and every army before us has been defeated and fallen into retreat. And he knew that if his army faced that kind of adversity, he knew that if they faced that kind of difficulty, that if there was any opportunity to retreat, if the battle wasn't going well, then they too would fall back to their ships and they too would leave without having defeated the the enemy, without having taken the treasure that they came for. And so you know what Cortez did, if you know the story, right? Legend has it that he called his army together, all 600 men, and they think... They're getting ready for this pregame speech. You can just imagine. This is like, you know, the guys in the locker room before they go out to take the field, right? And they're ready to hear their commander-in-chief give this awe-inspiring speech about how they're going to go win the day. But all of them are thinking, if we don't, we can come back and we can get out of here. So Cortez leaned in. 600 men grew quiet, ready to hear what he would say. And he said three words. Burn the boats. Burn the boats. Of course, they were confused. What are you talking about? Burn the boats. And they did. 
Cortez knew if they burned the boats, if there was no way to retreat, then they had two options. Win the battle, gain the prize, or die trying. And as legend has it, they won that day. I don't know if that story is true. It makes a great point. I know this story is true in 1 Kings 19. Elijah killed his cattle and burned up his plows that day. And he had nothing to go back to. What about you? See, my guess is that for you and me, if you face any adversity in your spiritual life, if you've come up against some hard times in your Christian walk, then maybe the problem for you and the problem I know is true for me is that we haven't burned the ships. We haven't killed the cattle. We haven't turned those plows into ashes. You know what you and I do? We always have, a, we always have something to fall back on. We love our security. So you know what we do. We say we're all in with God, but we've always got something to fall back on, and it always revolves around us. Have you burned the ships? Do you always have something to retreat to? Maybe the problem in your life and in my life and our Christian walk is that we haven't. And that we're always going back to those same things over and over again because we've never fully let go of those things so that we could take hold of Jesus Christ. Here's what I know is true. Taking hold of Christ, it means letting go of absolutely everything else. It means that we, like Elisha did with Elijah, we go all in with God. We go all in with Jesus. It means that Jesus is not just our Savior. And I know you want that. I know you want to go to heaven. I know you don't want to go to hell. You want Jesus to be your Savior, but it means he's your rabbi. It means you become his follower. You become his disciple. That taking hold of him means letting go of everything else. And that means everything else. That means you go where he leads you. That means that he becomes your ever-present teacher. That means that, that where he leads you, follow. That means that Jesus is the one that directs your life and your future. And that there is nothing for you to go back to. Because you're all in with Christ. Are you willing to let go of what you can't keep, to take hold of Christ? We lost a good man this past week. You know, Billy Graham passed away. He said a lot of great things. I want to share two things Billy Graham said that I think really resonate with this. He said this. He said, salvation, he said, salvation is free, but discipleship costs us everything we have. Discipleship costs us something. And you know that if you've gone into following Jesus, right? I don't know about you, I've got friends. I've got friends that have given up a lot to follow Jesus. They've given up addiction. They've given up their past. They've given up future opportunities and success and wealth and power and prestige. Some people I know have given up literally their family, turned their back on their family because their family wouldn't allow them. But, so, but, but they turned away from that to follow Jesus. Following Jesus costs you something. The grace of God is free, but salvation, discipleship costs us everything we have. He also said this. He said, I've never known a man who received Christ and regretted it. And I love that. Never known anybody that accepted Jesus Christ made him Lord and Savior, 
and rabbi and ever regretted it. The question is, have you gone all in with God? And is there something you're holding on to that's separating you from Jesus Christ? So here's what I want to ask you to do. We don't do this very often, but I want to ask you this morning to do this. I want to ask you to close your eyes. And I want to ask you to lay your hands in your lap in front of you, palms open for a moment. So if you would, just indulge me. If you would close your eyes and just lay your hands wide open in front of you. And then in this moment, just take your hands and close them. Clench your hands. And I want to ask you just to be real personal in in your own space, in in the privacy of your own mind and heart. I want to ask you this morning to think about this question. What is it you're holding on to? that you've not been willing to let go of. And if you'll allow me, I would just want to ask you a few questions. Is it sin? Is there sin in your heart, in your life, that you've been holding on to, that you've been unwilling to fully and completely let go of? You know this. You don't need me to tell you this, but I'll tell you anyway. If you're holding on to some sort of sin in your life that's separating you from Christ, and oh, by the way, that's what sin does. It literally separates you from Christ. That until you let go of it, you'll never be able to follow Christ fully. Until you confess it, until you lay it down at the feet of Jesus, until you own it and confess it and share it, there at the foot of the cross, if you can release that before Jesus, you will find forgiveness and acceptance and love and grace and belonging. All that is available, but you have to let it go. Is it sin? Maybe for you it's not that, but it is something else. It is. It could be what uh, I'm sure Elisha struggled with in the moment. Is it success? Is it power and position? Is it your wealth? Is that where your trust is in? If you're being honest with yourself, are you holding on to what you can't keep? And because you can't let go of it, you can't really fully take hold of Christ. You realize this is why giving and an offering is part of what we do every Sunday. It's a spiritual discipline. It's us Telling God, our faith and our trust and our confidence is in you, but it's not in our money. Our faith and our trust and our confidence is in you. And when we give every week to God's church, what we're saying, what we're demonstrating is that we own our money. It doesn't own us. We tell it to do. It doesn't tell us what to do. And maybe as an act of faith and trust and discipleship, you need to let that go so you can take hold of Christ. Maybe you're holding on too tight. Maybe it's got too tight a hold on you. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's something else. Maybe is it it your own? Are you holding on to your own self-reliance? Yeah, I know you pray. I do too. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out in my timing, then I'm going to take action. And at the end of the day, what I'm holding on to is I've always got myself to fall back on. I can do it. I can get it done. I can figure out a way. I can make it happen. And because I'm always falling back on myself and my own ability and my own power, and I know all those gifts that I have I receive from God, but because I have them, I can use them and I can take care of myself. Maybe what we got to do is we got to let go of our own self-reliance and just admit that we need God and that we need His church. What is it you're holding on to that you're afraid to let go of? What is it you're holding on to that you're unwilling to release and let go of so you can fully take hold of Christ? I want to give you a moment of silence and I want to ask you to pray that your Heavenly Father would take whatever it is you're holding on to and allow you to release it so you can take hold of Jesus.
So if you would, in the quietness of your own heart and mind, take a moment and talk with God and ask him to help you let go of whatever it is that's holding you back so that you can take hold of Christ. If you would, just open your hands and you can open your eyes. Maybe we need to give up what we can't keep so we can all take hold of Jesus. You know what's amazing? Whatever it is, if you, if you let it go and you take hold of Christ, you find everything you ever wanted. You find everything you ever needed. It's amazing, you know, if you, if, you take, if you take your trust in yourself and your power, your ability, your, your success, your wealth, and you lay that at the foot of the cross, you take hold of Christ, you know what you find out? You become a better employer, you, better, you become a better employee. If you take your marriage and you lay it at the feet of Jesus and you, and you let it go, you know what you find out? You become a better husband, you become a better wife. If you take your children, and some of us are holding on to our kids so tightly, but if you let them go and, and you give them to Jesus, you know what you find out? You become a better, husband, a better father. You become a better mother. If you take your friends you're so worried and concerned about and wrapped up and you, and you, and you give them to, to Jesus and you let go of them, you know what you find out? You become a better friend. But you've got to give up what you can't keep. If you want to take hold of Jesus Christ. And today it's my prayer. It's my prayer that we would release whatever it is we've been holding on to and we would just let it go so we, together, can follow Jesus. Church, if you would, let's stand. We can't talk about this without hearing what Jesus said about this. Jesus once said these words, if anyone, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll give up your life for my sake, if you live with open hands, you will save it. And what do you benefit anyway if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? A few years later, one of his disciples, a man by the name of Paul, wrote these words. To a group of followers of Christ, Jesus' disciples, who were living in a city called Philippi, he said, not that I've already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I'll tell you what I do. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press onward, onward to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So I beg you, church, will you let go of whatever it is that you're holding on to so that you can take hold of Christ? And what would it look like if, as a church, we together took hold of Jesus and didn't let go? The question is, well, we know our God reigns over all the earth. We know there's no God like our God, and he reigns over every other God. 
We know that the God that we praise on the mountaintop is the God we pray to in the valley, and he is sovereign in the silence. But the question remains, is he sovereign over you? Does he reign on the throne of your heart in your life? Does he reign over you? Let's sing.